Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer, your podcast host, and this week I am delighted to be bringing you a waterproofing expert. I'm chatting to Daniel Caruana, the CEO of Danray Group, a name that will be well known to many of you in our strata sector. Danray protects buildings and structures from water leaks. Very important work. Danray is a family-owned and operated company servicing the strata, civil, commercial and government sectors. With a diverse background and skills shaped from the ground up, Daniel says he is well experienced in everything from hands-on waterproofing to business strategy. With over 10 years in the IT industry, Daniel has brought Dan Ray into the 21st century using technology to implement systems and processes. When entering the family business, he started from the ground up, working on the tools as a waterproofer, obtaining his waterproofing license, builder's license, and finally his master's in business administration. With over 15 years experience in the building industry, Daniel has now taken Danray Group to new heights in the remedial waterproofing industry, becoming one of our most known brands, particularly in our strata sector. We are going to dive straight into Daniel's answer to my first question, why do our strata owners, our strata committees, even our strata managers need to pay attention to waterproofing issues, even if there is no apparent waterproofing problem? The main issue is, unfortunately, with a lot of waterproofing, isn't the actual membranes or, or, and the waterproofing uh, often aren't seen. So if there is a leak or if there is a problem, so you won't see much until it becomes a problem itself and it becomes quite costly. For example, if you have a roof leak, it can actually be sort of leaking into the structure for a long time before it actually you see it come through, say, in the penthouse below or something. But the problem is, is that often that starts degrading the, you know, the concrete slab. You'll get resultant concrete cancer, for example. So yeah. then it becomes very, very costly. So that's the problem with, with waterproofing leaks and, and, you know, water ingress into the building. Mm. And let's talk about roofs because I'm sure many of our listeners will be nodding away saying, yes, it's happened in my building, strata managers managing buildings where that has occurred. It's a big problem when the symptoms finally show themselves. What should our buildings be doing to avoid the costly fix? Is there a recommendation for maintenance for our roofs, a lifespan for our membranes? Can you fill us in on that? Yeah, so unfortunately with with a lot of new build that's faced, it's a very cost-driven market. Mm. So roofing membranes or all types of membranes, they're, they're often looked at as a sort of minimal cost to the build. And unfortunately, not the best membranes are being used on new builds, especially in strata. 
So lifespan of, for example, lifespans of, of your general sort of liquid membrane that might be used on a roof, would, manufacturer will probably give you about 10 years. Unfortunately, the, the, like the actual lifespan, sometimes it's not as long as that, depending on the heat, how it's been applied, all that sorts of stuff. So what owners really need to look out for is um, sort of engaging a contractor to maybe do a regular inspection to ensure that you don't get a leak in the future. And then that might be then planning for an upgrade. So, so installing some form of sheet membrane rather than a liquid. And the differences between the two are, are dramatic. Like you'll get a sheet membrane could last you 50, 60 years compared to mm-hmm. a liquid. So doing those types of investigations is quite important. So really getting getting the roof inspected and making sure that you've got a decent membrane on the roof and then regularly uh, then cleaning the areas, making sure the drains are clear and all that as part of a maintenance plan uh, because waterproofing really is part of a draining system on the roof. So if you're relying solely on waterproofing and, and haven't got good drainings, et cetera, you're definitely going to run into issues. Um, mm. And that's what we find a lot is that it's almost like a set and forget type of attitude. And, um, and then you're, you've got all sorts of issues happening on the roofs and, and, and they can definitely be avoided. Mm. And we have so many buildings with flat roofs and that's always seemed strange to me that we would construct these buildings knowing that we have to drain water from the roof, then construct buildings with flat roofs and then wonder why we have a problem. Yeah. How does the, a flat roof effectively drain water? Well, basically, you really need to have falls. So, yes, it's called a flat roof in inverted commas, Mm -hmm. yes, but um, it has to be designed correctly. So you do need falls. um, And with what we've found now in in, in, uh, some of our projects is we're actually um, upgrading them with uh, insulation. So so flat roof, insulation, and then the membrane. So we're not only correcting the falls, but we're also increasing the energy efficiency of the building. So it's actually been very successful on, on a few strata um, complexes we've, we've upgraded the roofing membrane on. Mm, two for one by the sounds of it. Yes. Yeah. I am wondering if it is as much a surprise to our listeners as it is to me that the waterproof membrane should be expected to last potentially less than 10 years. Mm-hmm. I have in my head 20 years, 25 years. Is that maybe a a view that comes from older buildings where they might have a sheet membrane rather than a liquid? Is there a difference between the old and new, the lifespan of a a roof membrane for a building that may have been constructed in the 60s or 70s is different to those being constructed 10 years ago? Yeah, I I think a lot of that actually comes from the legislation. So if you look at the current legislation now, you've got the builder's warranty. So the builder's warranty is six years on a residential building. And then you've also got the waterproofer or waterproofing is considered a structural item on a building. So Mm -hmm. we have to match the builder. So we're also considered as a minimum on residential will be six years. Now, when you say the life expectancy of a membrane, generally speaking, like I said, with liquids, Generally, 10 years. However, like yourself, I would expect a membrane to last a lot longer than that. So generally, in the industry, a builder might opt for a liquid because it will last the six years warranty. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a catch-22. So he's only allowing what's necessary. 
mm. um, for his budget and costs as well. But unfortunately for the owners, they're almost left holding the bag of defects after the six years. Yes. So unfortunately in the, in the new build environment, um, and that's the whole point of legislation now, will, will be to sort of really ensure that our owners are protected with a longer lifespan type of waterproofing, hence sheet membranes, et cetera. So I think the changes are coming. Yes. And there is something, Daniel, you filled me in, in this raft of reforms in New South Wales that Building Commissioner David Chandler has uh, championed and made happen, essentially, that is unique to waterproofing or waterproofing plays a role in those reforms. What is that exactly? Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah. So the Building Commissioner will now have powers to actually uh, halt building. So he'll, he'll be able to walk onto a site and actually stop building, stop the site, if he sees uh, one of three areas of an issue, one being waterproofing, the other one will be structural defects, and the other will be fire certification. So he's actually going on to class two buildings, which, which are essentially high-rise residential now, and he will actually be inspecting certain builders and ensuring that everything is to code. So, for example, if a waterproofing membrane is specified for a project, does the builder have all the data sheets required and understand the detail required to install that membrane and ensure that he's monitoring the contractor? Um, so there's certain things that he, he is looking out for and waterproofing is one, one of the three, the big ones. And that, of course, being included because water, water leaks, water ingress was identified as one of the major, if not the major issue in the academic research that was being done around building defects last year and, and being released last year. So it's good to see that that's found its unique place in those reforms. Yeah, 100%. All right, so that is uh, the need to know on roofs. Thank you, Daniel. What about balconies? That's another area where I see owners, buildings, managers really struggling. Um, tell us about balcony waterproofing and what we can do to try and ease the burdens and the pain there. Yeah, balcony waterproofing, another big one. We see a lot of uh, leaks happening there, especially what we term as salting or efflorescence. Um, and that's when you see the white salting come through on balconies. Uh, that's often, that is considered a defect now, uh, whereas before it wasn't required to waterproof the tile screen. So if you think of the build-up of a balcony, you would have the, the concrete slab, the waterproofing, the tiling, your screen, so the floors to the balcony, and then you'd have the tiles. So what, what would happen is you'd get moisture into the tiling screen which then starts to react with the cement in the tile bed, which then brings out the, the salting from the, from the cement. And then you'd see all the white salts come through. So we see a lot of that happening. Um, and also uh, the actual leaks are occurring often because of movement. Um, so the, either the membrane hasn't been applied correctly or the wrong type of membranes being used. So we would definitely advise some form of sheet membrane on a balcony as well because it's external, it's exposed to the weather. And often the detailing around the door entry from the balcony into the living space is not detailed correctly. Or uh, the way the building's being built, you'll get a crack 
or cracking along that door threshold, which causes a leak into the into the apartment as well. So top tips there would be definitely the right membrane or a sheet membrane to use. And often what we're finding is, um, if possible, try to steer away from the quick fix because then you'll be you'll be reapplying the, the membrane again anyway. It's, it's probably after twelve months. Mm, and the cost of digging up all the tiles, all the tiles is correct. major. Yeah, yep. correct. Yep. Did you say there, Daniel, that unless the screed is waterproofed, then that's a building defect? Does that mean that there's two layers of waterproofing or the waterproofing is just in a different area? Uh, well, it, it's actually both. You, you can have waterproofing on top of the screed. So we, we mm-hmm. can use special membranes that you can install on top of the screed and then bond the tiles directly to the membrane. So we, we can do that option and that provides two benefits. One Obviously, the balcony is waterproof with a better membrane, but also you're not allowing moisture into the tile screen. So um, that pretty much stops the um, the efflorescence coming out. In your sort of standard install, generally you, you install a membrane based on the concrete slab, and then we install what's called a moisture barrier membrane. So like a liquid that gets painted on, but then just stops the efflorescence coming through the, the tile bed as well. So there, there are both options. Good. Why do we have these problems with incorrect installation of membranes, particularly when it comes to balconies? We see the same thing happen in bathrooms, bathroom renovations. Is there a problem here when it comes to the qualifications, the experience of waterproofers? What, what qualification, if any, is required? Uh, good very, very good question. Um, in the waterproofing industry, there is currently a traineeship, which is two years, and then you can get your licence. The unfortunate thing with the trade at the moment is there's just not enough experience in two years. You, you simply cannot get enough knowledge of waterproofing in the two years. So we have a, internally, we, we actually have almost like a four-year apprenticeship within our business. However, in the industry itself, if you're doing enough, say, bathrooms um, and, you know, any, any guy with sort of a brush can pick it up, paint on a liquid, do his two-year traineeship and pretty much come out with a waterproofer's licence. And if you have that license, you can then provide the certificate that says this waterproofing has been done correctly. Correct, yes. So that's just how the industry is, unfortunately, at the moment. You know, there are measures being taken to improve that. However, what we're finding is that is partly the reason why remediation is growing 10% year on year is the figures I've, I've read. So being a remediation contractor ourselves, um, we've obviously taken waterproofing quite seriously, but we're also builders. So we understand the, what, what's important, I think, with, a, with the industry at the moment is a lot of waterproofers don't actually understand building combined with waterproofing and what the effects have and getting that waterproofing right. So I think, I think that's a big component of it. Mm. And I do see strata managers in particular and committees 
struggle to be comfortable that the certificate that they're getting, that the contractor who is apparently licensed is uh, properly experienced, properly qualified to be doing such important work. Um, So hopefully that's something that we see change down the track, maybe similar to what we've seen with our fire safety professionals. And that's something that we've talked about on the podcast with there being now an accreditation system and a more rigorous system for training and, and education. Maybe that's on the horizon for our waterproofers too. Agree. I'd like to see a four year apprenticeship, like a proper trade and at least a year working for an, like an accredited waterproofing company to get the apprenticeship complete. Um, yep. I think, I think that's very important. Sounds sensible. Now, Daniel, you are working with uh, buildings, managers regularly. What do you see is the big challenge that owners are facing when it comes to waterproofing projects and how do you help them overcome that challenge? Uh, We see the biggest challenge being knowledge and owners, building managers, strata managers, you know, they're, they're not builders. So unfortunately what we see is owners will have a waterproofing, major waterproofing problem. The strata will go out to tender and they'll get three different quotes, three different types of membranes, three different ways to fix the problem. Right. Um, And often the choice that gets made is let's go for the cheapest. Mm. So let's not have to raise as much money in our special levy. We'll go for the cheapest. I think, you know, from what we can see, yes, he's, he's warranting the work. It's going to be waterproof and let's do that. So then what we find is, one, again, the, the wrong solutions proposed, the wrong membrane, and they're just not getting what they're paying for. They're not getting the longevity out of the installation. Mm. Uh, so that's, I would say, one of the biggest issues we find. The other issue what we find also is, an owner will, will contact Strata and say, my balcony is leaking. There's a work order that gets released and then to the contractor, the balcony is leaking, fix it. Contractor goes out, fixes the balcony. The balcony wasn't the cause of the leak. Hmm. So, so things like that. So the investigative process has to be done up front. Yep. Yes, it will cost a little bit of money up front, but the cost of rectification of an area that doesn't need it I mean, it goes without saying, right? So they're the two major issues we see. Mm. Um, and I can see how taking the time and indeed spending the money on that investigative process on what I understand would be a technical specification, a proper scope of work, having that prepared so that then when you are seeking tenders for the actual work, you're comparing apples with apples rather than getting, as you said, three different quotes for actually three different things. I see buildings make that mistake time and again, thinking that they're saving money when really at the end of the day, they're just causing themselves another headache. Exactly right. So what would we recommend or how would we overcome these issues would be, well, the first thing is we actually work with building consultants and waterproofing consultants. Right. So there has been times where a strata company would approach us and say, listen, we've got 30 balconies that need remediation. So we would actually refer them to trusted building consultants to give them a scope of works. And look, that may be seen as we're throwing away work, but in our mind, it's not really. We're actually giving the owners the best chance of actually getting the job done correctly. 
Mm. So, so yes, they're trusted consultants and we would likely be involved in the tender process. However, it gives the owners the opportunity to get three quotes, compare apples for apples, and they know that they're working with a, you know, a trusted engineer, basically, that is mm. going to recommend the right solution. So in that respect, that's, that's what we would do. And then we're really, we're all working to providing a solution long-term rather than just the cheapest, which is, yep. is exactly what we want to do. Yep. Sounds like a sensible approach and a really good tip there for our owners' corporations to go about this project, these kinds of projects in the right way. Daniel, can you share a, a client story with us, a win perhaps that our listeners might be able to learn from? Yeah, definitely. Um, we took on a job for an apartment block in Cooper Street. Surrey Hills in Sydney. Surrey Hills, that's the one. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, so they had quite an interesting uh, roof, actually. So this roof had a tennis court, a pool, and a decking around the pool. That massive issues. They had pooling water in areas, uh, membrane leaking uh, into, the, into the units below everywhere. They had rubbish on the roof, uh, lots of stuff going on. We were actually the third contractor hmm. to look at this roof. They had a, a scope drawn up by a consultant, which was very good. And then what we did was um, we then installed a new torch-on membrane around the edge of the building. And then we installed what's called a PVC membrane. So it's a, it's a little bit thinner a type of membrane under the tennis court. So that way you wouldn't get, uh, with a torch-on, unfortunately, it's quite thick. So we installed a PVC under the tennis court so you wouldn't get your tennis balls bouncing everywhere every time it hit a joint. So uh, so we we redid that for them and we were able to get new membrane underneath their pool decking. So we actually were able to jack up the pool deck and uh, slide the, um, the Tortron membrane under the pool deck. And then to finish off, we actually installed new decking as well and also a new tiling uh, paver system over the Tortron. So... Because we're licensed builders, we can actually project manage the whole job and mm-hmm. have the in, in-house sort of waterproofing knowledge as well. So the peace of mind for them was obviously they're just dealing with one contractor that could do the lot pretty much. Yep. And one point I will make is the um, the finishes of the membrane. So we find in these types of scenarios on this job, they use these areas in, as entertainment or, you know, they go up on the roof and they, you know, watch fireworks, have parties, things like that. Yeah. And that's okay. It's just that you need to ensure that you've got the right finishes on, on the roof. So if, if you've just got a, an exposed membrane, the owners have to be aware of that. Do we put tiles over it? Do we, you know, pay the system, all that kind of thing for the foot traffic and all that? Because you don't want to be installing a membrane where you're, with all the foot traffic, you're actually damaging it obviously. Yes. So they're the types of things you've got to consider in, in the design of the solution. So in this case, it worked out perfectly and the owners were over the moon because they could use the whole area they, yes. once they had all the pavers in place and the new decking so that they were, they were over the moon with it. Yeah. And there's a good lesson or perhaps warning there for residents in buildings where you might think it's a great idea to start making use of your rooftop area. You think, oh, it's nice and sunny up there. We have access, there's a good view. We can put a table and chair. We can start using it for socializing. Is it actually 
designed for that purpose? Have you got the right membrane? Are you damaging a membrane that shouldn't be used in that way? So something that um, I doubt many think about when they have these bright ideas. <laughs> Very true. Very true. And you mentioned there, Daniel, with this building, you were the third contractor. Were you the third contractor to do work on the waterproofing? Because I see that a lot with waterproofing, that buildings get so frustrated. This is the second or third time they've tried to stop their roof leaking and it's not working and they don't understand why. Yes. So we were the third contractor to actually not only, so this is the thing, they'd already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars Mm. So this was a project. So, so they had two other contractors do project work on the waterproofing and we were the third contractor to actually come in and remediate the issue. Yeah, very frustrating um, for owners. I think the recognition that this is a complex component of our buildings and that you need the right people with the right qualifications and experience and it's one of those jobs that done on the cheap never a good idea i would think if you're going to spend some money this is where you want to spend it agree just think about what you're protecting is the is the key waterproofing will protect the building so just have a think about it so true excellent well thank you so much for joining us daniel and sharing all of your knowledge with us do let us know how our listeners can find out more about you and about dan ray and if there's anything you want to add before we wrap up go ahead well, thanks, Amanda. Uh, I suppose the best place to start is our website. So uh, that's D-A-N-R-A-E, group.com.au, or give us a call, 1-800-326-723. And really just the last tip is don't be afraid to uh, involve the contractor or bring them in and meet the owners or the EC and uh, really help you understand what they're doing. So don't be afraid mm. to do that. Yep, and explain why perhaps it might be costing a little bit more than they expected or than they want it to cost, but it is money well spent. Definitely, definitely. Thanks so much, Daniel. I will chat to you again soon, hopefully. Thanks again, Amanda. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?